Uh, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, let's get to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter uh, 12 today. We're going to finish up chapter 12. For the follower of Christ, the reality that we know the end of the story should be affecting our present day way of life. The future reality should be shaping and transforming our everyday way of life in the present. It should be affecting our choices about how we invest our time, how we spend our resources, who, what takes priority. The future truth that Jesus is returning, that an eternal life is to come, that should affect how we live today, how we should live tomorrow and the weeks ahead. Today in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is talking about his second coming. And this doctrine is talked about a lot in the scriptures. In the New Testament alone, it is, it is talked about uh, 318 different times. And what you often see is that the future and promised second coming of Christ is talked about as a motivation to obey and follow Jesus today. Future truth affects our todays and tomorrows. From our statement of beliefs that can be found on our website, this is what we say as it relates to the return of Christ. We believe there will be a sudden, personal, visible, bodily return of Christ. As believers, we eagerly long for Christ's return, the time of which is unknown. The final result of Christ's return will be the judgment of unbelievers and the final reward of believers. And then believers will live with Christ in new heavens and a new earth for all eternity. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will reign and be worshipped in a never-ending kingdom with no more sin, sorrow, or suffering. What a sweet, sweet day that will be, let alone eternity. No more sin, sorrow, or suffering. The future and promised second coming of Jesus is one of the key doctrines that lead us toward faithfulness to Jesus today. We see this progression in a place like Colossians 3. Listen to verses 1 through 4. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on, on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So Paul's talking about present-day realities that we have of being in Christ. For instance, we've been raised with Christ. But he also says in verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory pointing our eyes forward to this future and glorious return of Jesus. Then, in verse 5, Paul says, Therefore, as a result of that truth, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And then skipping to verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on, and he gives examples of Christ's likeness. Because of who we are in Christ today and because of his promised second coming of Jesus that is to come, we live differently. We live differently. The future affects the present, so we continually put to death, put off the things of sin and self, and put on the things of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, Christ-likeness. God's Word is continually giving us instruction on how to live in the life that we've been given. Because we all recognize we're not in heaven yet. So how do we live in preparation for an eternity with the Lord in preparation for His return? And here in Luke 12, Jesus sums it up with two words. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready for His return. Some of your translations say, be dressed or stay dressed is, is how the ESV puts it, I think. And such a picture is one many of you already experienced this morning. 
You were not ready to leave your house until you were out of your jammies and into some clothes that were acceptable for public viewing, except for Walmart. <laughs> if you have small kids or teenagers, you might have said to, this, said to them this morning, get dressed. What are you doing? Move. Put on your shoes. Let's go. Some of you are recognizing this. Because when your child was not ready, when they're not dressed, you, you recognize they're not ready to walk out the door. Some of you have been work, working remotely for a year. You're going to have to learn to get dressed again this year, at least from the waist down. If you've just been like business on top, party on bottom, you're going to have to actually have that match before you walk back into your employment. When you're dressed, you're, you're ready. And this is the picture and posture that Jesus is calling us to as we await his return. And there are blessings coming to those who are ready. Now what we see in this passage is also a warning to those not yet in Christ, not ready. Those who have yet to humble themselves and trust in Jesus. So for those who are not yet followers of Christ, you're not here by accident. You're not watching by accident. I pray the Lord would do a supernatural work in saving your soul today. So starting in verse 35, be ready for service and have your lamps lit, Jesus says. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn, and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So you've got multiple pictures here uh, helping us understand what it looks like to be ready. In all of them, there is an expectant watchfulness. Verse 35, have your lamps lit. Jesus is talking to a crowd that hasn't experienced electricity. So, if you're expecting a potential visitor at night, you can't leave on a porch light for them. You're going to have to light an oil lamp and let that be burning for that potential visitor at night to light their way. Verse 36, Jesus gives the picture of a wedding and the master returning from the wedding. In that day, a wedding could last up to a week. That's a crazy credit card bill. And so for the servants who are never... Uh, servants who served, they were never quite sure when the master was returning from that wedding. And so as, results, as a result, the servants had to be ready at any moment to open that door for the master to return. Verse 38, Jesus gives the picture of staying awake even in the middle of the night. He's not saying that to be ready that we can't sleep. Instead, he's saying when, when his second coming feels delayed to us, it's never delayed in his good providence, but it feels delayed to us. Even when we are spiritually weary, even when we might be tempted in that delay, what it feels like to drift off spiritually or lose sight of that future Colossians 3 reality, he's saying stay alert, stay alert. And the last picture is that of a homeowner preparing for a thief to come. Jesus is not saying he's an evil thief. He is saying in the picture of a homeowner, the way you prepare for a thief is not when the thief arrives, but beforehand. And Jesus gives a promise here to those who are living ready. 
Blessed will be those servants, is what he says in verse 37. Blessed will be those servants. And notice the one who, who the servants have served with readiness, kept their eyes on during their earthly life. Jesus tells them that he will then in turn serve them. Do you see that? It's beautiful. The master will get ready, have the servants recline at the table, and then come and serve them. Jesus, the master, the son of man, came to serve, not to be served. It was true in his first advent, what we will remember on Good Friday and the Easter morning this week, and it's also true in the second advent, that he will serve those who have served him, been faithful to him, put their trust in him. There is blessing in responding to Jesus Christ now. And that blessing does not diminish even in eternity. Friends, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? If so, you are blessed. If you don't trust in Jesus today, may you surrender to him today. So verse 41, Peter asks a question, which then leads Jesus to give another parable in response to that question. So we see both the reality in the second parable, blessing again, and we also see a very sobering warning to those who are not yet, not yet ready or haven't trusted in Christ yet. So verse 41, Lord, Peter asked, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible manager? His master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Peter's asking in verse 41, Jesus, this parable, who does it apply to? Who are you speaking to? And Jesus answers through giving a second parable and then giving these four descriptions of four different types of servants. The first of which is the only one that gives a picture of faithful readiness. The other three serve as a warning and a call to repent and trust in Jesus today. In verse 42, Jesus describes the faithful and sensible manager. And when the master returns, he finds the manager doing his job. He hasn't gotten sidetracked. He's kept his focus on what the master has asked of him to do. And in this case, it is to care for and feed the servants in the house. In this parable, there is a clear element of a charge, not just to all disciples of Jesus, but also leaders and managers meaning pastors, elders, overseers, shepherds, the ones who are entrusted with, according to Hebrews 13, with the care of souls in a flock. Or according to 1 Peter 5, the feeding and care of the flock. Under shepherds who serve humbly, under the chief shepherd for the good of the flock, not for the good of the under shepherd, for the good of the flock that they've been entrusted with. And so whether you're talking leaders in the kingdom, or all disciples and servants in the kingdom, Jesus again promises to those who have been faithful to the manager, blessing is theirs. Brothers and sisters, are you pursuing faithfulness toward the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God? Are you making progress by the grace of God? Blessing is yours, Jesus promised. He promised. His word is sure. He, says, he said twice now, truly I tell you, just trying to emphasize, my word is sure. And then in the rest of that section, Jesus describes three servants who are unfaithful 
and blessing is not theirs, but rather condemnation and judgment. Verse 45, but if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. This servant, rather than remaining faithful to the manager, is unfaithful and as a result is using their their position for self-serving motives. They're using their position as an abuse of power rather than a place of humble service. They do not care for the souls that they've been entrusted with. They're using their, their position not to lead others to life, but actually serve themselves. Instead of using the the fullness of God's grace and truth to shepherd people, they are using the fullness of self and pride to domineer people. So who does Jesus have in mind here? Who is this warning to? Well, he definitely has in view the Pharisees and religious leaders of his day who are leading people away from the gospel of God's grace and to a false gospel of works. He pronounced woes upon them in Luke 11 that we looked at a few weeks ago, six significant woes of condemnation. He also has in view unrepentant false teachers in the church to this day who are using their position of authority to serve themselves rather than serve our good and loving master Jesus. Those who, while the master has yet to return, they've assumed the position of master when they are simply a servant. And in verse 46, we see that total rejection and judgment is coming their way if they do not repent. This is a graphic picture of condemnation, a graphic picture of judgment. Earthly wrongs will be made right in eternity. The wages of sin is death, according to Romans 5. And if your faith is not in Christ and His perfect payment, His sufficient payment for those sins upon the cross then you alone bear the penalty, the wages for that sin. And you will be assigned to this eternal place of the unfaithful. Third servant, and yet still in the category of unfaithful, verse 47, and that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. This type of unfaithful servant is not necessarily a leader, So there's less severe judgment coming their way, and yet judgment nonetheless. Who is Jesus talking about then? I believe an example would be that of of the person that he describes in Matthew 7. Jesus says in in, uh, verse 21 of chapter 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then they reply, but, but Lord, we did this, and we did that, and but Lord, we, we did this in your name, we, we did that in your name. And, and the Lord says to them, you can read it in chapter 7 of Matthew, depart from me, I, I never knew you. Not everyone who says they are a Christian is a Christian. Not everyone who talks about Jesus or the things of God is actually devoted to Jesus and in Christ. Knowing a lot about Jesus is not the same thing as knowing Jesus. Following the teachings of Jesus as a model for your life is not the same thing as following him as Lord and leader of your life. And so the person who knows the will of God 
that will being to put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Son of God, and instead says, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to keep putting my faith in myself. Jesus says judgment and eternal separation is still theirs. I'm, go- I'm going to reject the sufficient payment for my sin upon that cross by a spotless Lamb of God, and I'm going to instead put it in myself and my ability and my effort. Jesus says eternal separation to the unfaithful is still theirs. Verse 48, the last servant, who while ignorant and unaware still has not placed their faith in Christ, but the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. And then Jesus goes on, for from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Now, is this verse teaching a workspace gospel? Basically, if you don't keep up, measure up, do enough, accomplish enough, then you won't be received into the kingdom. Or if you don't keep your end of the bargain, so to speak, then Jesus doesn't have to keep his end of it. No, it's not teaching that. Whenever we look at a passage, we need to look at the the greater context that that passage falls into, whether it be that chapter, that book of the Bible, let alone the storyline of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And over and over in the New Testament, we see that salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. It's not by works. And at the same time, we see in places like James 1 that our faith in Christ should lead to a life of works. Faith without works reveals that that faith is absent. It's non-existent is what James writes about. We see Paul write in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. He, he writes, We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So faith, love, and hope, they were leading to, they were producing work, labor, endurance. Listen, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if He's your good and loving Master, then listen, He saved you from, not only from hell and condemnation, He's also saved you to a life of good works. He saved you to a life of service and worship to Him. Paul tells this, uh, writes this in verse 27 of Philippians 1, As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've been entrusted with the Holy Spirit. You are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. You are a herald for the good news. Jesus expects you to do something with that. He expects you to do something with that. Not in your own strength, but in the strength that He gives you. You're expected to live as a faithful steward of the gifts and grace you have received. Not so that you can keep receiving that grace. Not so that you can keep yourself in the kingdom through your works, but because you are adopted into the kingdom by grace alone. That should affect how you live. It should affect how you speak, how you spend your time, how you spend your money. It should affect your everyday way of life, not just your Sunday morning. And as a result, Jesus promises, we've seen it twice in this passage, the faithful are blessed. Blessing are theirs now into eternity. Blessing, not condemnation. And Jesus continues to teach in verse 49, as we seek to to be ready and be in this posture of expectant watchfulness, 
He gives us this, this example of something that could potentially distract us or pull us away from being ready. And so he doesn't want us to be surprised or discouraged when we face earthly difficulty. And this one specifically is one that some of you are currently walking through. Some of you have walked through or you might in the future. Jesus says, I came to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already set ablaze. But I have a baptism to undergo and how it consumes me until it is finished. Do you think that I come here to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. In Scripture, fire is associated with many things. One is God's spirit. One is God's presence. Here, we more than likely, this fire is associated with God's judgment. And God's fire both purifies and cleanses. Another pastor said this regarding this verse. Fire consumes what is combustible and does not consume what is non-combustible. It purifies the non-combustible and, and it destroys the combustible. And so the coming of Jesus is a fire. It's a fire cast to the earth. To those who believe, it purifies. To those who reject, it consumes. And so Jesus is saying, look, I've come as fire. Jesus was then and continues to be, to this day, a divisive figure. Not because he was a jerk. Not because he was rude. Not because of his character. It's because of the claims he made. For instance, declaring, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is radically inclusive. All are welcome to repent and believe in Jesus and follow him. Good news of great joy for all the people is the Christmas story. And yet the path to enter the kingdom and find salvation is through one person. No one comes to the Father except through Him. That is radically exclusive at the same time. In a world that values selective tolerance and rejects absolute truth, to say that the only way to God is through Jesus is a claim that brings division. Not everyone will agree upon that. There's no middle ground when it came to Jesus' earthly ministry. You were either in or you were out. You were either following or you were rejecting. You were either shouting crucify him or you were weeping at the cross. One commentary said this, the gospel that brings deep inner peace to those who hope in Christ divides all people of the world into two realms even within one's own family based on the reception of the gospel message. Some reject and some receive. And we are continually praying for those who reject that the Lord would supernaturally and powerfully with His love and grace break through into that heart and save and reconcile. Jesus is clear here that following Him is going to lead to division among relationships, even potentially among family members, which is the most intimate of relationships. It is possible that following Jesus will lead some family members to become enemies, becoming those who are aggressively or passive-aggressively opposed to your growing obedience to Jesus. 
Sometimes those closest to us might be the ones who persecute or hurt us the most by what they say or not say, what they do in response to our desire to make Jesus Lord of our life. What, as we make Jesus number one in our life. They may no longer want anything to do with us if we claim that we're following and trusting in Jesus. And again, some of you know this firsthand. I've heard your stories. You've lived this, or this is going to be potentially your reality in the future. The essence of Christianity is loyalty to Jesus Christ, a loyalty that takes precedence over every other relationship, loyalty above any earthly relationship, even those closest to us. And let's be honest, sometimes your desire to be loyal to an earthly family is actually hindering your obedience to Jesus. Consider the earthly family. In a lot of ways, it is the foundation upon which we come from. It is where our initial loyalties lie. The saying is true that blood is thicker than water. It's a cliche, and yet because of that, it can lead us to be willing to forsake obedience to Jesus in order to keep the peace with the family or not upset the earthly family. So, for instance, it's possibly keeping you from a step of covenant membership in a church or going public with your faith, with baptism. Or it's keeping some of you from going on the mission field. It's keeping some of you from changing your job, going in another direction because you don't want to upset so-and-so. Some of you, it's, it's just more uh, everyday life where it's actually keeping you from, from living your faith out publicly in front of your family. Because you want to keep the peace. Because you don't want to hear it. And that's actually hindering your witness. You're choosing earthly family to worship more than the one who died and rose again for you. Jesus has called and commanded us to put him first. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Greatest commandment. So may your loyalty to Jesus lead to a life of good works that then leads your family to praise their Father in heaven. If you're walking through family division, as I know some of you are, I pray that the words of Jesus in this parable are an encouragement to you to be ready. Be ready. Keep your focus on Jesus in the midst of that who is returning. And whether that's in our lifetime or not, what is promised to all believers is blessing, eternal harmony, joy, peace, delight, blessing now, blessing then. Verse 54 he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this present time? He's rebuking the crowd, saying, you can read the weather, but you can't read who is right in front of you. You can't read the Son of God speaking to you, ministering to you, physically present before you. The promised Messiah, the sent one to rescue and redeem. The kingdom of God is near and the king of that kingdom has come to call all people to faith and repentance. Don't harden your heart today, loved ones. Don't harden your heart. Today is the day to be ready for tomorrow is not promised. If there's one of the thousand lessons we should have learned over the last year, it is life is a vapor. We've announced more loss in the last year not even COVID-related, then I feel like we have in a long time. Life is a vapor. We are not promised 
tomorrow. I don't care your age. I don't care your health status. We are not promised tomorrow. Today is the day to be ready. Verse 57, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you're going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge, and the judge hands you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. There's a practical element to that teaching, but for today I want to focus on the spiritual truth that Jesus is teaching on here. And those verses is a picture of the gospel and a call for us to trust in Christ today. Jesus is saying it is better to settle with the judge before you ever get to court. If you wait until the day that you see the judge, it will be too late. The debt you owe will be too great for you to pay from prison. You'll never be released. If you wait until the day of judgment to bow your knee to Jesus and confess him as Lord, it will be too late. But today is the day of salvation. Today is not the day of judgment. Today in God's good providence, he has delayed his second coming of his son, being patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, including you, but all to come to repentance, including you. If the worship team could come back up. Romans 3 tells us, describing this out-of-court settlement available to all. In the NLT, starting in verse 21, and then I'll skip a a little bit of it in the middle. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And then skipping toward the end of verse 26, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. The gift of of eternal life is found only through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't delay. Don't wait. None of us know the hour that he will return. In Christ alone, our sin debt has been paid in full. It is finished, is what he cried out on Good Friday. A sacrifice sufficient to cover all our sin. He bore the beatings and condemnation that were ours to bear, compelled by love, so that now this great exchange can occur. He bears our unrighteousness, and we are clothed in his righteousness. Through faith alone, we might be saved, given new life in Christ. And that new life has come, not so that we can return to the old, but faithfully, ready, expectantly, watchfully live for Him and His kingdom as we await His return. Father, thank You for sending Your Son as a sacrifice, as our atonement, as our rescuer, as our redeemer. God, remind us this week of the sacrifice, the selflessness, the love displayed on Good Friday. Remind us of the power and the hope that is displayed on Easter morning. Enable us to live as as Easter people this week and not wait until Sunday. Enable us to live ready lives 
dressed lives prepared for the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you for giving us your spirit so that we can walk those out. Be glorified through our way of life. Be glorified through our thoughts. Enable us to be prayerful, dependent people upon you and your spirit as we go from this place. We love you. We serve you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.